Auto Line Daily is brought to you by Borg Warner. Feel good about driving. Bridgestone. Your journey. Our passion. Dow Automotive Systems. Improving durability and increasing design flexibility with Betamate structural adhesives at DowBetamate.com. And by Hyundai. New thinking, new possibilities. Hello and welcome to AutoLine Daily, where we help to keep you up to speed on the most important developments in the global automotive industry. Holy cow! You should see the numbers that Daimler just put down for the first quarter. The German automaker racked up worldwide sales of 565,000 cars, trucks, and buses. That includes record sales for Mercedes-Benz cars. And that pushed its revenue to more than $40 billion, up a strong 13%. But here's where the numbers get real interesting. Daimler's earnings before income taxes hit nearly $2.5 billion, and that was up a jaw-dropping 95%. And the bottom line is just as impressive. A billion three, up 92%. You know, once a car company passes its break-even point, it becomes a cash machine. And clearly, Daimler has blown past its break-even point. I'm sure CEO Dieter Zetcha is doing a victory jig. Just last year, he was only awarded a three-year extension on his contract instead of the normal five years. What better way to shut up the critics than to damn near double the profits? Have you seen this opinion piece that's making the rounds about how automakers cannot meet CAFE without resorting to loopholes in the regulation? It's written by longtime environmental activist Daniel Becker, director of the Safe Climate Campaign. He laments the fact that automakers, especially GM, Ford, and Chrysler, are using these loopholes. And he berates all automakers for not selling more hybrids and electric cars. Well, here's my AutoLine insight. Daniel Becker knows better than that. Those loopholes have been part of CAFE almost from the beginning because everyone knows the automakers cannot meet CAFE without them. Becker points out that Honda can, but Honda is not a full-line manufacturer. It does not sell full-size pickups, SUVs, or passenger cars. And as for selling more hybrids and EVs, well, that's a problem with the car buyers. They're just not buying enough of them. And guess what? This is true all around the world, even in countries with double the price for gasoline than what is in the U.S. And that leads us right into the next interesting story. While thumbing through the latest issue of Time Magazine, I came across this interesting Lexus ad. What makes it remarkable is it's an anti-diesel ad. It tries to convince readers that if they buy a diesel, they're going to spend all their time hunting for gas stations that sell diesel fuel. Well, that makes no sense, since diesel is almost everywhere. We contacted Lexus to ask why it's running the ad, but we haven't got a response back yet. But we think we know why Lexus is concerned about diesels. Over the last three months, Lexus's hybrid sales dropped 3%, and this despite the fact that Lexus has added more hybrid vehicles to its lineup. Are you listening, Daniel Becker? Meanwhile, diesel sales at BMW are up 223%, and at Audi, they're up 230%. At Mercedes, they're down slightly, but the trend is clear. Hybrid sales are stalling, while diesels are surging ahead. A few years back, automakers were very bullish on the BRIC nations, Brazil, Russia, India, and China. But now car sales are starting to stall in those countries. 
General Motors Senior Manager of Economic and Industry Forecasting for International, David Teolis, says Russia's shaky economy is cause for concern. He says the country relies too much on gas and oil exports, leaving it vulnerable to price fluctuations. Russia faces sanctions over its belligerent actions in Ukraine, which will hurt its economy and worse from a long-term perspective, its population is in decline. Despite this, Teola says there's still an upside to the Russian market if it changes those policies. And he even recommends that it join the European Union. Coming up next, we're going to take a look at what the people at Toyota in California must be going through right now. Proven on the track and on roads around the world, Borg Warner turbochargers improve fuel economy and reduce emissions without sacrificing performance. Borg Warner, official turbocharger supplier to the IZOD IndyCar Series. Yesterday, I had an interesting Skype interview with Larry Dominique, the executive vice president of TrueCar, but who used to be the head of product planning at Nissan in the Americas. With Toyota announcing it's going to pull out of Southern California, I wanted to talk to Larry about it because he went through the same thing when Nissan pulled out of there. Larry, take us a little bit through that. When you first heard Nissan say, hey, we're pulling out of Southern California, what was your reaction? Yeah, the first reaction, John, really was, um, you know, you're wondering, can it actually be true? You know, we had just gotten through at that time tremendous growth, you know, as a company. You know, Nissan went through the bankruptcy, near bankruptcy in the late 1990s. Renault came in. We were on a real growth trajectory. And although we knew we were geographically spread around the country, um, there really was no expectation or insight that this was going to happen. So it really did catch a lot of us by surprise. And uh, the move that Nissan made, how do you think that impacted the organization? It's interesting, you know, we ended up losing about 68% of our people, so about 32% moved. So there was a tremendous amount of attrition. And, you know, the changes I saw, John, was not for necessarily bad or good, but there was quite a culture change. You know, when you start to bring in, you know, hundreds, literally hundreds of people from other companies, different company cultures, different manufacturers, it really changes the dialogue. And it brought in some fresh thinking, but at the same time, there were times where you wished there was a little bit of that more institutional knowledge or a little bit more experience with the brand or the marketing and what we had done previously. So it, there really was a period of time where we were struggling to get our feet underneath us. But over time, we got, we got those feet underneath us. Southern California, of course, is a great place to live. There's a lot of diversity there. It's really a trendsetter for not just the rest of the country, but for the world as well. I'm sure there's got to be people who just do not want to leave, and Toyota's going to run into the same problem. Yeah, I know. I heard um, you know some excerpts from Jim Lenz's comments, and you know they're going to do everything they can to convince people to move. But you're right. There are a lot of people that, from a cultural point of view, love California, won't leave California. We found when I was with Nissan that we had a lot of dual income families and maybe the person that worked at Nissan wasn't the primary income earner and they just literally couldn't leave, you know, so you ended up losing a lot of attrition that way. And we also saw quite a few people that moved and over a period of time ended up moving back to California as well. So it's, it's going to be a, a, a quite a challenge for Toyota and, and hopefully they'll have a great learning from what Nissan went through. You mentioned Jim Lentz. He's the CEO of Toyota's operations in the United States. Uh, he said the Nissan move was all about headcount reduction and cutting costs. 
He says the, the Toyota move is more about operational efficiency. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's an interesting comment. And, and I think Jim said absolutely the right thing, because I think that's, you know, the ultimate, you know, corporate belief that you have to have is that you're doing this for the right reasons. Nissan, you know, at the end of the day, I think we did save some money by moving to Tennessee, but there was corporate synergies associated with that as well. In other words, you know, our assembly plants are in, were in Tennessee, you know, Decker, Tennessee, Smyrna, Tennessee, and then Jackson, Mississippi. We had engineering in Detroit. So moving the company to the Midwest certainly brought all those disparate functions much closer together. Um, you know, these are national companies, you know, and, and California is a beautiful place, although it's an expensive place to operate a business. Um, so, you know, from a cultural point of view, the one thing that they'll have the opportunity to do is these companies grew up over the last 50 years in the United States in different pieces. You know, there's Toyota, you know, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where they have the technical center. There's the assembly plant in Kentucky. There's the sales and marketing function in California. So the opportunity to design, build and develop an, an organization at a headquarters is something you don't get to do very often. That's right. Larry Dominique, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts with this move that I'm sure has got everybody at Toyota thinking long and hard about it. Yeah, John, I, I think you're right. So we're all going to be watching very carefully over the next two years. I got a lot of sympathy for the Toyota workers. This is going to be one of the most disruptive experiences of their careers. And with that, we wrap up today's report. Thanks for watching and please join us again tomorrow.